We use our phones for everything at this point, and I am absolutely guilty of that. I look up recipes on my phone. I meal plan on my phone. I use my GPS, even though I know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can also use your phone for some sexy me time? Don't worry. Your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup dipsystories.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder, and on this week's Head & Heart Work Conversation, we are talking to J.P. Sachs, Grammy-nominated musician, singer-songwriter, hailing from Toronto, internationally touring, recently came back from opening up for the one and only Alicia Keys, somebody who I'm like so thrilled to be able to say, like, I am a friend of, <laughs> or at least, at least like we have like friend vibes. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so please uh, welcome JP Sachs. Thank you so much for being here, JP. I'm so thrilled. Hi, Sierra. I'm so excited about it too. It's so nice to see you. I know. I literally haven't seen you in person since pre-pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, and since then, like your world has like taken off into the wild uh west of music success um we you and i met because you are um a lover of spoken word poetry and especially the scene in la and we ended up um touring briefly together like opening up for a speaker for the nonprofit mental health organization advocacy to write love in arms in what 2018 yeah, I think that was 2018. And touring together is a pretty bonding experience. So I think we can expand beyond friend vibes. I no, think, we're like we're like yeah, I think we're buddies. Friends. I think yeah. we're friends. Um, <laughs> That's so nice. We can, we I can also stayed at your house, so we and we shared takeout. So like we we friends. You stayed at my house. Yeah. Do you remember when I was working for Get Lit? And I had to do, sorry, this is like a little aside, (laughs) but (laughs) I remember I came out to LA and I had to do that poetry thing and I like stayed at your house for a couple of days. (laughs) Was I I in it? What house? The one in Koreatown? (laughs) This one, the one that you're in right now. (laughs) No way. Okay. So since, since I have no recollection of that, since, um, remember when I said earlier that I have a a problem with my memory and therefore I have such a, yes. a rooted nostalgia issue. Yeah. Actually, one of my favorite lyrics on the new album is to do with my bad memory. Oh. Um, this is such an aside, but there's a lyric. No, tell in, uh, I'm I'm here for your lyrics. Go. There's a lyric on what I think will end up being track one, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, it's the last line of the second verse. Maybe if my memory was better, I'd be less afraid of losing what I can't remember. Ooh, chills, chills, chills. Which is absolutely, <laughs> absolutely real. I have no recollection of you staying in my house, but the house is now the studio and it's Got where, it. it's where we are. And I'd like to think we're cactus friends, Ooh. which is one of my favorite kinds, like the kind of friend that exists and lives, even if you don't water it very often. I totally agree. I'm actually like, I'm thrilled to talk to you for our show, but I'm also just like excited to shoot the shit again. Um, because you're right, touring together, like you're in a van, essentially. You are waking up and eating the same shitty hotel breakfast together or going off and finding Starbucks like we did. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, getting to the actual interview, other than just being mm-hmm. like, what's up, we're friends. <laughs> um, so can you just tell 
our listeners who might not know you um, or might not recognize your name, but would like probably definitely recognize your music. Um, a little bit about your musical journey, like how you got here today, like when you started being an artist and whatnot. Yeah, so there's there's a, a lot of versions of that answer depending on which angle I would like to see how my life has arrived at this moment from. But because we are talking, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the literary poetry colored angle. Oh, I love that. Um, which is, I moved to Los Angeles when I was 19 years old. Uh, I grew up in Toronto. I was born in D.C., but I was only there for three months of my life, so I have no mm -hmm. recollection of what D.C. Mm -hmm. was like. But I feel like clarifying just because if it seems like I'm keeping that a secret, Canadians accuse me of not being Canadian and Americans accuse me of not wanting to be American, <laughs> neither of which are true. Um, so first three years of my life, first three months of my life, D.C., then Got Toronto until I was 19. Moved to Los Angeles because I had the opportunity to – um, make a little project as an artist, um, a production company had reached out to me and I spent a year making that music as a 19, 20 year old, and then didn't release any of it because I didn't love it enough to mm. confidently start my career as an artist, um, based on songs that didn't really feel like a version of my voice that was actualized enough to stand mm. behind. Um, and you know, putting the amount of effort that's required to be a professional artist into getting people to hear your voice mm -hmm. only feels like a, a really grounded effort to me if you're confident and solidified in what it is you're trying to get millions of people to hear. Mm. So, like, dedicate, you know, so much of your time and a lot of other people's time to try and get a lot of people to hear something that you're not confident people need to hear yet. It's just didn't feel right as a 20-year-old. Wow. wow, I didn't um, know that part of your story. So it was around that time when I abandoned all of the abandoned all of the infrastructure of what my first life in Los Angeles looked like and tried to figure out a way to stay here and you know moved in with a roommate and well, I moved in with a roommate after about three and a half months of the cheapest Airbnbs I could find in Los Angeles, which was quite an adventure because Airbnbs in 2014, under $15 a night in LA, wow. like would make a good coffee table book. And I stayed in a lot of them. It was yeah. like a, com it was a combination of in my car and then uh, like weird tree houses in Topanga. Probably one of my favorites was the docked boats in Marina Del Rey. Sounds romantic, smelled horrible. Uh, <laughs> so, and it was around that time when I started coming to the Poetry Lounge. Yeah. Uh, and my first community of friends in Los Angeles wasn't other songwriters and musicians. It was poets. And it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Wow. Because, well, one, as you know, that community at the Poetry Lounge is a pretty special group of people. Yeah. We share most of those friends. Um, so as a human, that was such a blessing to stumble into such compassionate, caring, giving and supportive humans. Um, but also as an artist for one of my first communities to be these brilliant writers who didn't give a shit about how pretty I sang or the chord structures I used, but just cared about if there was a sincerity in the lyrics I was writing to my songs, like that being my first audience that I really wow. deeply cared about has informed the way I've written my entire career. That is so apparent too, because I, I was going to save this for a little bit later, later, but your lyricism is unmatched, I think. And I mean, every you're, you're so musically talented, both, um, instrumentally and vocally, but your lyricism itself, like it stands, it stands far apart from other um, musicians right now. I feel like you're, it's so tangible. It's so genuine, um, effective. Like, I don't know. I don't think of um, lyrics as being so sharp and tactile as yours are. They're just so fucking good. I'm just so into them. <laughs> and I spent the afternoon preparing um, uh, questions for this interview and listening to your Spotify channel. And it was just, um, you're so visceral. And I'm so thrilled to have you on Just Break Up because, especially because you primarily, and correct me if this is, if this is a bad assessment, but like you primarily write about 
relationship interpersonal in whatever way. Um, and you've just mastered the nuance and nostalgia and full spectrum of conflicting emotions that come with that human experience in a way that a lot of songs, particularly like pop songs, don't tap into, you know, I think the the equation has previously been be universal so that everybody finds an into a song and your songs somehow a lot are able to be incredibly specific and personal which make them somehow that much more universal if that makes sense to your to your experience. Absolutely. I mean, well firstly thank you. And also I think other art forms have understood that concept for a really long time that the more personal the more universal like that's almost mm-hmm. a cliche. Yeah. In TV shows, that's a cliche. In movies, that's a cliche. In poetry, it's a cliche. But for whatever reason, in songwriting, it just wasn't seen that way. Mm, or mm-hmm. at least in pop songwriting, right. it wasn't traditionally seen that way. It was, no, you have to be broad so someone can dance to it at their wedding. Um, <laughs> but I just, I don't buy into that. And I am actually really excited about what lyricism in modern pop music is looking yes. like right now. I think there's a real renaissance of people caring about just how personal, how sincere and how well-written their pop songs are. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And I am grateful that I get to be a pop songwriter in 2022. I think it's one of the best times to be one. I totally agree. And and that's a good correction that like traditionally I feel like that has pop lyrics have been more one-dimensional, two-dimensional, you know, and now they're becoming, um, they're, they're true storytellers or, you know, true poets like you are, uh, you know, I, I truly consider you one. Um, so I just want to, um, go back to you and I on tour, um, mm-hmm. 2018. Um, I remember like just giving us context for like the, how fast your career has grown in the last couple of years. I remember talking to Jamie Tworkowski, who is the founder of to write love in our arms, who we were opening for. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, so JP and I are going to open for you and I'm going to go first. Right. And he was like, no, no, no you're going to go second because JP has like less Instagram followers than you. He has 10,000 10, Instagram followers and you have, I don't know, 15,000 at the time or something. And I was like, what? Like in my mind, you were like way more popular than spoken word. And like, it'd be better to have you go second, whatever. That's all semantics. But now you are like fucking global superstar opening for Alicia Keys, Grammy nominated. Like I hear your shit on the radio and you got way more than 10,000 Instagram followers. (laughs) Anyway, going back to, um, that 2018, um, you, so one of your first like really big hit songs, um, was called the few things. Right. And that was really just picking up a ton of speed on Spotify and, Instagram and really just, it was, it's beautiful. And it was being played at weddings, like you said. (laughs) And you and I like linked up on that tour and you were basically like, I'm going through this terrible breakup and now I have to go and sing this song, this happy love song. (laughs) In in retrospect, it was actually a really good breakup that felt terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. For sure. That makes (laughs) so much sense. I wouldn't necessarily call it a terrible breakup. It definitely felt like it was, but it, she actually was extremely compassionate about it. I, I have found a new appreciation for how, just for how kind and considerate Mm. she was breaking up with me. Mm Mm-hmm have now having been in a situation where I was the person Mm -hmm. to decide or to acknowledge that a relationship had come to its end. Mm. Uh, At that time, you know, 2018, when that relationship ended, and that was the relationship that all of my songs were about for a long time. Right. And to your point, like in 2018, the few things came out, it's this extremely effusive love song and it release like the week after the relationship had ended. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's painful. Yeah. You know, again, looking back on that moment, I think it was 
beautifully symbolic of how valid that love was. Yes. And how real that love was, despite it being about a relationship that didn't last for my entire life. Yes. Uh, and I think singing that song around the world, that song especially has taken on so many different lives for me than the love it was rooted in, the very real love it was rooted in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I sang that song at a wedding in Argentina in January uh, and saw two of my favorite people in the world have their first dance to that song. And oh I God, honestly... Chills. I just had chills picturing you at a wedding live singing. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, and I think about... But I think about them now when I sing that song. Mm. I think about... I think about what it feels like to watch people embody their love into something from me, but it doesn't feel dissonant because it was from a love that was a relationship that I was no longer in. I think that's really natural in any sort of linear healing. Things do take different shapes and they do feel differently. You carry them different over time. So it makes so much sense that that has chameleoned itself into a different thing, you know, just as you have healed from that love. So has that song. Mm-hmm. And it's, I wonder if you've ever felt this in a poem where you, you write a piece from one place in your life and then as that piece lives on and you do too, and the way you look at your life changes and the life that you have changes, and then experiencing songs that you wrote as a previous version of yourself or poems you wrote as a previous version of yourself, you kind of get to do it in a way similar to how a listener or a reader would mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where it's absolutely. now it's like I'm relating to that song because of a different part of my life. And it almost feels like you're getting to step outside of yourself. And in mm-hmm. the way I feel when I read other people's poems, it's like, Oh, that's not my life, but I relate to that. That's sometimes yeah. how it feels like how it feels listening to songs from, from 2018, 2019. Yeah. And is that true of all of those songs that you wrote about that? X, like you said that that was like not to use a cliche word but that was like a muse for a long time yeah i mean i was with her from 21 to 25 yeah that's a long time so i learned what it meant to not only love someone from her i learned what it meant to be myself while i was with her mm-hmm. that was i think the hardest part of the end of that relationship it wasn't so much unlearning loving her. It was learning how to be a version of myself I had become next to her without being next to her. Wow, JP. God damn it. God damn your lyricism showing up just in a fucking <laughs> interview. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, yeah. I mean, And isn't that so... I also want to point out another thing you said. You were talking about... You were saying you know, when I, I thought of this ex being kind and compassionate when she broke with me, when I had to, and you started to say, you started to say break up with someone, but then you said, when I had to acknowledge a relationship was over. And I thought that was so interesting, like linguistically, because I agree, you know, there are relationships in which sometimes there is an active, how do you say that? Like an somebody who actively decides that this is not working for me and therefore it can't work for both of us. Like, and I'm sorry for that. That's an incompatibility. And then right. there's other situations that there just has to be a person who says like, this is not working for either of this is broken, you know, or, and I know it's like way more complicated than that. And obviously I'm not in your body or in your relationship. You know, I don't know what the ins and outs of it was, but I thought that that, it was like a little bit of a like a language distancing to say I had to acknowledge the relationship was over instead of I had to make it over, you know? Sure. Do you does that connect to anything? No, absolutely. And I mean, you know, in twenty eighteen, when the girl I was with from twenty one to twenty five acknowledged that our relationship yeah. was over. <laughs> um, she, I remember her saying to me, like, I, she said to me, I love you. Like, I, it's not that I don't love you. I do love you. And I don't think I will ever not love you. Yeah. But I also don't see the version of life that we are going into now as who we are now as honest with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, 
she didn't say exactly that. I'm paraphrasing. No, I get it. it was a long time ago. But the part about her saying like, it's not that I don't love you. I do love you, but I also don't think we're supposed to be together. Yeah. The way that we were once supposed to be together. Yes. Well, I, I think that's beautiful and painful all at once, right? I didn't understand what she was talking about. I was like, that makes no sense. <laughs> As, at, at 25, when that happened, I was like, no, that's absurd. Like, if you love now, me, how can you, you love? Yes, exactly. How can you love someone and leave? What are you talking about? It made no sense to me. And then, as as often happens when that came around, um, and I was I was in that position, I was like, oh, wow. I, I I I guess I get it now, which is why I have like a certain degree of understanding with you know people who are listening to the first song I've just put out from this new body of work and questioning that idea questioning that you can love someone and leave. I, I have, I have like a, an understanding for the people who don't understand because I was also once one of the people who didn't understand. Let me preface that single a little bit. And then I want to return to that comment and ask you about those listeners. Um, so you did just recently release this single when you think of me mm-hmm. and um, it's beautiful. It's nuanced. It is the type of, love song that I want to see and hear um, because it is multidimensional and it's honest, you know, Um, I, you're right. I have, I too have understanding and compassion for people who don't understand how you can love someone and hurt them or love someone and not be for them. Um, But I've also, I've also been around that block a little too many times not to be like, ah, yes, I recognize this scenery. (laughs) (laughs) But so you start this beautiful song with the lyrics. Feels like a disrespectful oversimplification to say we wanted different things, to brush it off with an explanation like attachment styles and timing. And I fucking heard that lyric and I was like, I have to get JP Sachs on this fucking show because all we do is talk about attachment styles and nuances (laughs) in relationships. So question number one, what is your attachment style? I know it has nothing to do with the song and you're like, it's literally not about the attachment style, but you obviously know what that is. So I would like to know what your style is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it definitely depends on the moment. Uh, totally. I, I, and it also, I've had different ones at different times in my life. That's real. Yeah. What's the one that's the opposite of anxious attachment? Avoidant. I always forget that word too. Avoidant. Yeah. That's, I would say that's the one I most commonly find myself in. Um, now that I know your, your attachment style, <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's actually talk about the real song um, or what it's really about. Um, for to me, the song is a lot about like reckoning with the really mixed um, emotion. Oh no, not just a mixed emotion, but like the the complicated truth of leaving someone, of loving someone, and knowing that you're not right for them, even if they think that you're right for them, and like the emotional dust that settles after a separation, you know, on the show, we talk a lot about trying to find comfort in the discomfort that like, we are not for everyone, that life is that you're unable to move through life without disappointing people. Um, But it is always uncomfortable. Right. And especially in breakups, how do you forgive yourself for, if I will quote your song lyric, like not staying who you thought I'd be. um, We thought I'd be. Yeah. Ooh, who we are, both of you. Oh, God, the lyric is so good. Um, just, you know, so how do you, I guess, if you want to talk a little bit about the about the song, but also if you could answer the question, like, how do you move through that tension of of not staying who you thought you would be for that person and yourself? So to that, how do you forgive yourself to that? I'm going to have to get back to you on when we yeah. hopefully get there one day. <laughs> Copy that. <laughs> um, I am not entirely sure because it is something that I have felt different ways about in different parts of the process that I'm still very much in. Um, it fucking sucks. Yeah. It, it just fucking sucks. I, I, I think um, th- there's ways that I try and summarize it to myself that all feel like they fall a tad short. You know, I have 
go-to phrases like, if it's less honest to stay, it's more loving to leave. Mm. Um, which I believe, but also that doesn't mean I've entirely internalized that. Like I do believe that, but also like when, when you recognize that what you thought you wanted f- for so long isn't what you want anymore, the recognition of that is an, a deeply terrifying and confusing uh, dissonance yes. internally. Because totally. you, you have this, this battle between what you want to want and what you want. Mm-hmm. And it creates all kinds of friction with yourself and in a relationship because it's hard to let someone in on it's hard to let someone in a battle that includes them in a way that would make them very insecure. Mm, totally. So, so then you're going through something alone in a relationship because you're afraid to hurt someone and they recognize that. And then you become more distant and then you're trying to figure it out. And then you feel like, like how, how dare I have this emotion that I promised I would never have. And like, mm. what the fuck does that mean? And I'm trying to kill the part of myself that feels that way because I don't, I'm terrified mm-hmm. to be any source of pain for you because mm-hmm. I love you and I want to be. So you try and compartmentalize it. You try and get rid of it. And and then you convince yourself you can. And then, you know, that I guess can go any number of ways until you get to a point where you're like, I, you're, you're afraid of either, either hurting someone a lot or hurting someone in an even more degree of a lot. And you start to feel like there isn't really a different option there. And you want so badly to give the people you love everything that they everything that they want in their life, even if it includes you. Mm. Mm. But then you start not really seeing how you can be a part of someone's life in all of the ways they want you to be and still give yourself the life that you want and dream of. You know, it's that, that, you know, few month period of like really grappling with that was, uh, it, it was, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but it was all of the things I just said, I guess. (laughs) You're being incredibly articulate and vulnerable. And what you have described is, well, you've described something incredibly nuanced and painful in a way that is so true. I mean, it's the waiting period between the separation, before the separation and the process of trying to decide that when you know I mean, simply put, when you know it's going to hurt someone that you do love, that you love, um, the hardest breakups aren't when you're like, fuck you, you're a piece of shit. I'm out. Like, how dare you be a piece? How how dare you cheat on me or how dare you? Whatever. The hardest breakup is when you want the best for someone and they want the best of you. And it's not the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that not being the same thing fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we had, there was an interesting moment recently on actually the six month anniversary of our breakup. Uh, we attended our best friend's wedding together. And oh my God. Oh my God. Why would, okay. For, how is your heart and why would you do that? <laughs> Well, we didn't we didn't attend it together, but we. Oh, were. okay, okay, okay. I was just like, okay, I'm sorry. No, we. we I see. Rephrase. You were. We weren't. We didn't go as a as a team right, to this wedding. Right, but, right, right. You weren't like this is going to hurt so much that we should just team up together. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. I understand. It was exceptionally symmetrical to be like literal six month anniversary of us breaking up at our friend's wedding. So I was the officiator of the wedding. And uh, she was a bridesmaid. Oh, my God. (laughs) I am so sorry. That is so uncomfortable. And not just uncomfortable, it's so painful. Yeah, no, it was definitely uncomfortable. It was definitely painful. But there was a a bit of beauty in it also. So she was with her new boyfriend at the wedding. Mm -hmm. And seeing them together felt different than I expected it to. Because... Just like we were saying earlier, like all of those, you know, a year ago, or maybe not even a year ago, but that 
that fear and the recognition that like being a part of her dream life in the way that she wanted me, me to be a part of it wasn't the same as my, my dream life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a feeling in like seeing her with her new boyfriend at this wedding where I, I looked at them and I, I, I felt, well, I mean, ambivalence. There was like a lot of feelings involved, but um, one of them was this, this joy to look at someone I loved being loved and look mm. at someone, look at someone that I presently love in a moment that was kind of indicative of, of something that would have been like an, would have been a far off dream, mm-hmm. you know, eight months ago for her to have her life in every way that she wants to have her life without it meaning me not having right. my dream life. Right. So in a way, like as much as it was uncomfortable and it was painful, there was also a lot of beauty in that moment for me. Yeah. I want to ask you really quickly, I, uh, you brought up people who like maybe had a hard time with your new single because they they didn't have either a lived experience to relate to or they didn't understand the context of leaving somebody that you loved. And add in this idea that we talked about before we press record, which is like how culturally we've, we value long lasting love over a love of any other length or a love that might end one day or whatnot. Can you speak to any of that? Yeah. I mean, you, you are right. We have definitely, we, we put on a pedestal, the only, at, at least in like, I don't know, pop culture, songwriting, sometimes movies that that the way for a love to quote unquote succeed a quote unquote successful loving relationship is one that ends with one of you dying. Right. Um, That is kind of the conventional thought on that. And uh, I'm just not entirely sure that's true. No, honestly, I had an epiphany (laughs) on our show years ago. I was like mid episode and I was like, oh my God, my whole life I've thought like, oh, as I've gotten older, I always thought, oh, I can't have a 50th anniversary. I won't be able to have a 40th anniversary. Or like, you know, I, I kept on thinking I can't hit that milestone that my grandparents did and that that somehow would like make my love story lesser. It's not just song lyrics and movies. It's like our, our culture. We stay together to make it to those milestones, not because it is always like the healthiest and right choice for us. Right. And there's like a part of my mind that goes like, don't over intellectualize it because it is disrespectful and disregarding of the pain that comes with relationships ending before you want them to. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, you know, controversial opinion here, but like, I, I kind of believe that someone can be the love of a part of your life. Not controversial here. Absolutely believe you. I absolutely agree with you. Like I have had multiple loves of my life. They were just loves of my life for, who we were together in that phase of our life. I mean, I'm sure y'all talk about Esther Perel all the time, but you know, that reasonably popular idea of hers that, you know, we're going to have multiple loves of our life no matter what. And it just, it just, some of us will have it with the same person. Yes, absolutely. We're we're changing together and we either we fall in love with who we change together as, or we don't. But if we don't, that doesn't mean that, the love that we shared as the versions of ourselves that we were was somehow now a lie. Right, exactly. And that perspective allows the, to use like really simplified terms, it allows like the the breaker upper <laughs> to feel empowered. And it also, I think it brings healing to the the dumped, you know, like the the person who was broken up with because once you can access it, once you're out of the phase, like you said, like none of this makes sense, fuck you. Once you're out of that phase, you can you can see that your love wasn't wrong. It's not that it wasn't enough. It's not that it was um, insufficient or like there's no path that you could have gone on that would have changed it, you know? Um, yeah. I have a question for you as someone ready. who thinks, thinks about love a lot and has been in versions of it. At what point does trying to hold yourself to feelings you used to have become lying about the feelings you currently do? At the point at which you cannot grow into 
like grow with those feelings, I think. Like this is just off the top of my head, but you know, all relationships ebb and flow. I will never be the same amount of in love with my wife as I am today because I will be a different person with different tools and experiences. Mm -hmm. And so like, I do think you can, I do think that you can, uh, I was going to say lose emotion, but maybe like, I do think that your adoration or love for someone can fade and then grow back into something similar. Yeah. And you don't know, you don't know if it's going to grow until you, so when you're in those valleys of it, you, you hold on to it as best as you can. Right. And you do what you can to try and bring it back. And then at a certain point you recognize whether it is regrowing or not. Right. Or whether it's, you know, the version of life that you're picturing together has remained the same. I mean, this is all horrible. It's literally giving me like, I'm loving this conversation so much. And I am so deeply appreciating your thoughtfulness and your, your vulnerability. And even, and also even just putting myself back into that, those emotions, like remembering what it felt like to look at somebody who I really loved and respected and also know in the back of, in the core of myself that like, that's not where I was supposed to be. I mean, it's just so uncomfortable. And I guess this is all to say like your lyrics might be quote unquote controversial or like might, might in this new song, it might be hard for some people to tap into this experience, but also it's going to be very liberating for a lot of people because I feel like this is, this is some of the unspoken hardest parts of humanity, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely fucking awful on both sides. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's like, it's not pleasant for anyone. Yeah. It's also not competitively unpleasant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's not about like, sure, like it, it fucking sucks for it not to be up to you. Yes. And I've been in that position. Yes. It sucked. I hated it. Yeah. It also sucks to have to make that decision. It doesn't, neither of those sucks. Yes. No, you're right. Competitively awful or whatever you said. It's not competitively unpleasant. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, you're right. And you're right to put that in context because I am using your beautiful single as an opportunity to talk about the experience that we don't hear of a lot about, you know, choosing to lose, leave someone you love, but you're right. I mean, that doesn't take away from any of the the pain of any other lived experience. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure this is something you've thought about as a writer a lot. Like there is something creatively, um, I don't use the word exciting, but creatively purposeful in filling in the emotional slots that we don't touch as often. Absolutely. And I think when, you know, when we write about love, you know, the, the, the most uh, commonly filled buckets are the fuck you for hurting me bucket. Mm-hmm. The I miss you, I want you back bucket. The I'll love you forever bucket. Yep. And the you hurt me, but I like it bucket. Yep. Oh my God. That was, that was, those are really accurate buckets. buckets. <laughs> the, That's so true. The this was really beautiful, meaningful, and very painfully not permanent mm. bucket just to, you know less less full. i think you're building you're making that bucket like right now you might be just like holding it in your hand <laughs> there's not actually a bucket <laughs> you are the bucket <laughs> there's a couple songs there's a couple songs in that bucket that i really love and and Ooh, can i you, found can them you list a couple I, of them yeah I, I actively have looked for them so there's i think the most famous song in that bucket is i will always love you written by mm. dolly Parton. Mm, excellent People think of that as a love song, as like a, you know, as an outpouring of I will love you forever song. Not, it's not that. It's actually such a spectacularly written song. I wish you joy and happiness. No, that that person is sending you on your way. (laughs) Yes. Um, In that same wedding, um, Matthew quoted I will always love you because he's a huge Dolly Parton fan in his vows. And when he sent me the draft of his vows, I was like, 
don't do that, dude. Like that's definitely <laughs> like, that's Not, a bad uh, omen to quote yeah. this song in your vows. And he was like, we're stronger than the omens. And I was like, I believe oh my you, God. you are. But uh, yeah, if I should stay, I would only be, be in your way. So I'll go, oh but no, I'll think of you every step of the way and I will always love you. Come on, Dolly you're Parton. Not this is a shame, but I'm going to make you sing later. So you're forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. <laughs> And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. We've talked about this new single, When You Think of Me. Um, I have a couple... I'm, I I would be remiss if I didn't try to introduce the audience to some of your my fav- favorite lyrics of you, but I thought I could do it in a fun way that makes you sing to me, <laughs> essentially. Um, so I made like, I picked out five of my favorite songs um, mm-hmm. and I, I've sort of like assigned them. It's like a listening guide for our Just Break Up audience. So um, like listen to this song if you blanked. So Just Break okay. Up audience. Um, if listen to this song, um, if you, your ex has moved on, but you're not ready, listen to a little bit yours. Oh, I forgot to tell you the premise of this game. 
So it's not even a game. It's I just want you to sing me either the chorus or like a favorite lyric from each of these songs. Is that cool? Okay, yeah, I think it will be yours is if they've, you know, if they've seemed to figure out how to move on faster than you have and you're wanting to sit in that feeling. Oh, yeah, you want to wallow. Mm-hmm. If you want to wall, if you want to like find a, a little bit of a, a forward momentum in that feeling. It's I think, so fucking good. That song, th- man. Thank you. I think what keeps me from it, what keeps me from it is probably this, the, if you want to push yourself a little bit further and Got it. like out of that feeling. Got it. Okay. Will you sh- do you want me to yeah. sing? Yes, All please. I do is get over you and I'm still so bad at it. Uh, uh, chills. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's the lyric that I wrote down that I love. All I do is get over you and I'm still so bad at it. Well, it, no, don't get me wrong. You have better like poetic lyrics. No, I like that one a lot. Yeah. But your best lyrics are so simple and so like gut wrenchingly true. Like, uh, there's a couple more here. So I would say, um, this is actually my original favorite song of yours. Um, and it's, uh, 25 in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know why. I mean, I know why, but like for some reason that just is like my go-to JP song. And so just break up listeners. You want to listen to this song. If you are post breakup and you're maybe not like totally crushed anymore, but you are, you're, you're carrying that person around with you and you're still trying to like untangle them from your happiness and your identity. Mm-hmm. Is that good? Is that a good yeah. description? Yes. Okay. You're, you're, you're trying, you're trying to figure out how to, uh, how to enjoy a happiness without imagining what it would feel like to share it with them. Ugh, ugh, puke all over the... <laughs> okay, sing for me. <laughs> okay, so, this is such a fun game. <laughs> so context, I think second verse of 25 in Barcelona yeah, is my favorite me part. Too. Inside the writing process of 25 in Barcelona, verse two, originally the first line of verse two was, I wonder if I crossed your mind. Mm. That's what I had wrote, written in my journal. And then in my head, I was like, Oh, so the context, it was my birthday. It was the day after my birthday. I wrote 25 yeah. in Barcelona the day after my 25th birthday. And it was also a, a few days, a few weeks after her birthday. So it was just birthday season. <laughs> um, so I'd written in my journal, I wonder if I crossed your mind. And then upon writing that thought, no, of course I crossed your mind. Like yeah. it was my birthday. So then I changed the lyric to, I wonder how I crossed your mind. Mm. I'm sure I did, but I'm curious what the thought of me felt like. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like the core of that song. I wonder oh, I love how close you mind. I'm sure I did, but I'm curious what this thought of me felt like. Was it harder than you imagined it would be? Because when I missed your 30th, it almost fucking killed me. Uh, uh, I love this song. Oh, I love your voice. Thanks. This is just Pretty like good. for me. This is <laughs> we're gonna leave this out of the <laughs> whole show. <laughs> uh, okay, so next one. Um, this is so good too. This is, why this is so good is it's so deeply relatable. Um, if you broke up with somebody, it's a fresh heartbreak, and you have shared community, and you have to be in the same room as them. And the song is oh, called "Same Room." Throwbacks. We're we're going back to the old shit. Listen, the old shit is where I started. So, like, when I think about getting the Just Breakup listeners on you, I I instantly listen. I think of those. You know, that's where I fell in love with your lyrics. I appreciate really. it. We'll start at the top. Same Room was the first song I put out on a record label. I watched the TED Talk on Heartbreak. He had a smart person accent. He does have a smart person accent, although I did ask him. I think it was, like, a combination of, like, I don't remember. It was like Israeli and something else. His name's Guy Wench. He has a podcast <laughs> called How to Fix a Broken Heart, um, which uh, the the story of Same Room is me going to a concert shortly after that breakup because um, I thought that'd be cathartic and helpful. And then she was at the concert and then we didn't interact. And I left the concert, was sitting on my couch, scrolling through Instagram, trying to numb my emotions. Mm. And uh, a TED Talk popped up called How to Fix a Broken Heart. And I thought, tight, I'm going to watch that shit. Yeah. And then uh, the dude says, you can't let yourself look through the photos. Pause video, <laughs> open up some photos. And then uh, and that's then, where, yeah. yeah. I watched the TED Talk on Heartbreak. He had a smart person accent. He said, don't look through the photos. But then I looked through our photos. 
Mm. Canada, Portugal in 2014. That's what the pictures were of. Good trip. Oh my God. Um, uh, and I love that the chorus of that song is literally just, um, we can't even be in the same room. Is that how it goes? Yeah, we can't even be in the same room. Our friends are making sure I don't see you. I strategize a path to the bathroom so I don't walk past you. Uh, it's just so relatable. Like I have been in that room avoiding that person. Strategizing your bathroom path? Yeah. Um, okay, next one. Um, you are in, this is a sexy song to me. Um, you're in like a new, fresh, sexy love or maybe like a crush, but it might intimidate you. Um, and the song is called More of You. And I just, mm-hmm. as the poet, I need to tell you that the interruption that you do in the second verse where you're like, never mind. Mm-hmm. show me or tell me or whatever that's such such a good fucking lyric um thanks yeah uh okay we'll do that i'll sing you that one um verse two that's verse two as well uh when we're sitting in the shower talking and you stop and stare at me i remember what it's like to want to choose somebody over everything i'm gonna need you to explain exactly everything those eyes mean never mind surprise me and that song is like so sexy to me too because like well first of all you talk about like hanging out in the shower but also mm-hmm. like the idea of like a crush like a a person being intimidating or like emotionally intimidating you know like that maybe something in you is like cracking open or you know that it could be important to you or whatever and but the the core of the song is about leaning into that discomfort and like, you know, which is obviously like emotionally hot to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, relatable to those with an admiration kink. Yes. Oh my God. That is a drag me. That drags me so far into hell. Um, okay. Um, and then, um, could you maybe just, uh, sing me a little of your single if you feel comfortable with that, which we spent a ton of time talking about. So that would Mm. be like, if you are in a relationship or you, if you were the person who had to end a good love because not because it wasn't a good love. Or if someone, or if someone told you they loved you and they broke up with you and you're not quite sure how that could possibly Mm. be true. Mm. That is such a good point, like from the other perspective. Yeah. Yeah. In a very self-indulgent way, the comments on my post about this song that, you know, one of the more common comments has been like, you know, this, this feels like hearing what he couldn't have said to me. Wow. Um, And that one, I appreciate that, that. That comment always, always means a lot to me. Also a lot of comments from people, from people whose parents are divorced, Mm. Um, which I didn't really see coming, but makes a lot of sense because, you know, if the thematic core of this song is that love can be over and real at the same time, um, because my, you know, my parents divorced when I was 15, but like they weren't really in a solid spot Mm -hmm. probably since I was like seven or eight. And, but, you know, there was a time at the beginning of my life that apparently they were yeah. super in love and I'm glad they were. Cause like, yeah, here I am. Wow. Um, but at the end, so my mom passed at the beginning mm-hmm. of 2020 and my dad was by her side every wow. step of the way, like in the, you know, in the hospital room when she died at every appointment with her, like helping her wow. through chemo, helping her through all of the different doctors and opinions and choices. And he was, he showed up, in the most beautiful act of love that I've ever seen a person show another wow. person is what my dad did for his mm. ex-wife. So if that is an indicative of how valid and meaningful love can be, even after it's quote unquote, oh my ended, gosh. like, like how could I not believe that love can be extraordinary even if a relationship isn't? Wow. I'm going to sit with that for a long time. I mean, that is a, that is a belief that I already held. Um, I think because of my lived experiences, because of my divorce parents, but I've never quite put it in that context. And I, I'm really touched by this connection that you've made with your current, with this single, with your relationship. Um, I mean, that's just, that's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, this, this single is is definitely more from the the emotion of fear that someone else is not going to mm. share that 
mm-hmm. conclusion. Um, no. When you think of me, are you setting fire to every memory? And do you believe what doesn't last forever don't mean anything? Like it's it's from the perspective of imagining how she's going to go about it and just being afraid that she's going to tear it down because the pain of holding on to the reality of the beauty would be worse than the pain of pretending it wasn't there in the first place. Wow. Uh, Some of the next songs are definitely more from, from my they like same same tone same like philosophical approach but you know the the angle of it that is me desperately holding on to the version of it Mm. that was real and not letting it get skewed by the version of a person or of a relationship that it maybe starts to look like in, you know, the, whatever the opposite of Rosie colored yeah, glasses is. I think that's brave, JP. I mean, I think it's, it's methodical and therapeutic to say, I know this was real because I felt this way. I know this is real because I am real. You know, I know there was love mm-hmm. because I was loving and I'm loving. And just because it's not the, you know, we like to simplify things. We like things to be black and white. We like things to be good or bad. We like people to be villains or not villains, right? And in breakups, we want things to be really clean cut because it helps our hearts make sense of things um, because we think that that sense, whatever the fuck that is, that clarity will make it hurt less or will make it not hurt in the future. But we talk on the show a lot about how true vulnerability is leaning into the complexity of human relationships, which include all things, including the fact that good love can end one day at any moment for reasons in and outside of our control. And part of true love is leaning into that, you know, leaning into the temporary and, and, and accepting that as part of, as part of love. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree. And also recognizing that something can be extraordinary, extraordinarily painful mm. and still right. Oh, I love that. That pain isn't always uh, an indicator of something yeah. being incorrect. It was just a hard one to yeah. to come to terms with. Of course. Because it seems like, you know, in a more simple situation, if something hurts, it's usually a reason to stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of brings me to the perfect segue for the end of our wonderful conversation. We ask all interview guests um, the same three three questions. First, um, what is a piece of relationship advice that that you used to believe that you no longer subscribe to? I used to think songs were a good place to get uh, suggestions on how love should happen. I now think they're potentially the worst <laughs> place to get any of your ideas or advice about how to except for JB Sachs songs. I just got to no. I, I don't think they're. I don't think they're good ideas. Uh, some of them maybe. Some of them are more advisable than others. But for the most part, they're honest representations of a flawed approach. Oh my to god! So cute, so true. Um, <laughs> all right, and every episode we share a blind date that we want to set up our listeners with. This week we're going to start them home with something from you um start ordering your boba 25 to 50 percent sweet it's uh <laughs> it'll come as a shock at first if you're least used to the 100 percent sugar but just know that you'll get used to it and you can uh, now drink two bobas <laughs> i know that you're on a boba scoring tour of the world right now really i've been getting boba in many cities around the world and i have been rating them based on, you know, my specific boba tastes. And what about, um, where can people find you and how can they support you? Um, on the internet, wherever people follow people, I'm available to be one of those followed people. Um, and, uh, I mean, people can support me by letting the music be a part of their lives Mm -hmm. in whatever way that may mean. Yeah, absolutely. Or come to a show. Yeah, come to a show, stream him, check out his Spotify channel. I think it's beautiful. It's the perfect music to listen to when you're 
when you're in your feelings or like maybe you want to tap into some feelings or you just want to listen to like a beautiful, beautiful voice. And you're like a wicked musician. Like I know that those are all the same things, but like instrumentally you're, you're incredibly talented. And I don't think everybody knows that. Like go see JP live if you can, because you're a wicked pianist. You're an amazing guitar player, wicked harmonist, harmonist. That's not a word. Harmony maker person. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> improv, you're like trained in like jazz improv, right? Anyway. Yeah, um, I, did I thought I was going to be a jazz pianist there for a while. JP is incredibly talented. He's obviously very genuine. And I really thank you for being a part of this show. Thank you for being so vulnerable with your story. I appreciate it. I know so many other people will. And like, I, I can't wait to hear your new album whenever that comes out. Um, I'm going to send you some of the new songs. I can't wait. Oh my God. So I remember. So at this trip that you don't remember when I was at your house, you played me some of your new songs <laughs> that turned that came out on the most recent album. Um, and I felt so special, but now you don't remember it. So. <laughs> we got to do it again. I, I I have a vague recollection of you staying at this house, but I wasn't. Where was I staying? I, you were here. Uh, oh, I might have. That might have been when I was living with that girlfriend. Maybe. But I kept my house. Yeah. We weren't like living together, but we were like living together. Yeah. I don't know. I just know I slept in that room that's like across from the piano. Yeah. It, it must have been when I was like. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes, that makes sense. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's hang out soon. Um, if you have enjoyed this episode, um, to my Just Break Up listeners, follow JP, check out his music, and make sure to stay tuned for more Head & Heart Work conversations on our primary feed. And do you want to do the honors if all else fails? Yeah, no. So I, <laughs> when, you asked me if I, when you asked me if I would do this, I, I said it was going to be an invidious decision, but I would do it anyway. And I, I learned the word invidious yesterday from Sam Harris on the podcast. It means, it means welcoming of anger or resentment. But, um, with that caveat, follows fellas just break up. There you go. But like with a, with a heavy heart. No, no, you got to listen to the show. It's all, I mean, that's the, the, the title is tongue in cheek. The title is, I mean, we spent the whole time talking about what else you could do other than break up or how to break up with compassion. So I'll say it. <laughs> with all else fails, just break up. Yeah. <laughs> <Agreed>. Yeah. 